0: What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 82, we are finishing off Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings with parts four and five. So without further ado, Drew, would you kindly give us our recap for, I should say, (laughs) as to how the book ended? Lord, I'm already starting off on a great foot here. Time to open my drink. (laughs) <laughs> sure. So we had one more set of
1: interludes today. Um, the first one was from the point of view of a robber named Baxil, who is working for a mysterious mistress who uh, seems to be less involved in the robbery side of things and more about vandalizing things. And Baxel talks uh, with his kind of, uh, you know, his partner, and he he comes to the conclusion at the end of it that he needs to change his life and and kind of grasp his destiny, and so he's going to go to the valley and visit the Night Watcher to get a boon and a curse. The second uh, interlude is from the point of view of an ardent who is way out and you know in the kind of the boonies of Roshar and. Uh, studying spren and discovers that once you measure a spren it becomes static and so that gives us a little bit of um a little bit of world building and and a a hint as to how the magic works here the last interlude is back with zeph where he is now uh unleashed shall we say and he attacks um uh, the king of Yackaved, and he kills the king there, and kind of uh, a bunch of noblemen, and, and takes out two shard bearers. It's a it's a crazy action scene. But from there, we get back into the the main, shall we say, uh, the main story with Kaladin and, uh, and Adelin and Dalinar. Kaladin, at this point, has kind of, you know, he's gotten the Bridge Four crew uh, together, working together, and they try a new gambit where they create armor from the bones of Parshendi, and Kaladin wears it, and that, combined with his newfound Surge Binding powers, uh, allows him to serve as a distraction. And uh, he does this while going on a bridge run, that Dalinar Colin joins because Dalinar and Setius, after having a conversation, um, once Setius exonerates Dalinar in the assassination attempt on Elkar's life, uh, they decide to work together, and they go on a couple of successful bridge, uh, you know, plateau runs until a a chrysalis is spotted on the tower, a uh, an infamous plateau much nearer the Parshendi, one on which no High Prince has yet won a Gemheart. They head out there. They use only Sadius's bridge crews, and Sadius promptly abandons Dalinar after uh, Dalinar's army is surrounded. Sadius turns around and heads back, uh, tells everybody that Dalinar is dead and there was nothing he could do. But Kaladin uh, turned his bridge crew back around said they, they couldn't you know keep pace and they would catch up later and and they turn around and they saved Dalinar. Dalinar in turn uh frees all of the Bridgemen, not just Bridge Four, but uh the entire group of slaves in return for his Shard Blade. And uh then he goes and beats up Elokar and makes him proclaim Dalinar High Prince of War, and we're uh, you know, we're we're kind of given this this new status quo at the end of the book with the, the High Princes, uh where Kaladin and Bridgefor are now in uh freed and they're in Dalinar's employ. And Dalinar has one final vision when he discovers these visions aren't uh they aren't active. They're they're kind of pre-recorded because the Almighty, the shard called honor, is dead. So we have a, a pretty bombastic end to the events on the Shattered Plains, but we're not quite done with the book because we have a little more with Shalon where she <laughs> figures out that Yasna was soul casting the whole time without the, you know, with the broken Fabriel. And she realizes, wait a second, she was never using the Fabriel. And she confronts Yasna about it and convinces her to uh, let Shalon in on her studies because Shalon also can soul cast. And, uh, and she learns about the Voidbringers, where Yasna reveals she believes the Voidbringers are the Parshendi. They are the Parshmen. And that there is a transformation that can come upon them. And, uh, yeah. And then the final, the final little bit, the cherry on top, is the epilogue, where uh, Hoid Wit is our point of view, and he is back at Kolinar, He's chilling at the city gates when a delirious seemingly insane, half-naked man with a shard blade shows up and says he is Talm, one of the Ten Heralds, and that a desolation is upon us.
0: So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of big revelations coming together at the end of this book and some big things to look forward to in the next.
1: Oh boy. So... (laughs)
0: Style. Let's jump into style. I don't have a lot about style today. I do have a couple very distinct things I want to discuss, though. First, I want to spend some time talking about the 40 parables. I want to talk about Noadon in these teachings. because okay. I love these passages, not only for the wisdom that they present, but the aesthetic that's involved here. The idea that Sanderson can write something so profound and still present it as tertiary, if we had to rely on what we knew, kings would only be of use in creating laws regarding the proper heating of tea and cushioning of thrones. Every time we get something like this, where Dalinar is talking to Sadius or he's talking to, to Adolin or Navani and he's quoting these passages from The Way of Kings, I just, I I am reverent in these moments. These these are These are like little gems that I just, I'm transfixed by. I love them. So I want to hear... What do you think of them?
1: Uh, sorry. Um, I, I got a little distracted by the beer I was drinking here. I, I just Uh-oh. popped this open and had my first sip, and it is outrageous. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm disappointed yeah. I had we'll, my webcam. We'll get to that in, a, muted for in that. a couple of hours, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: But, or minimize, um, I should say, yeah. So, sorry, you were you were talking about Noadon. Noadon Noodon, Noodon and the 40 parables. I walked from the yeah. Bama bar to your theory.
1: Um... Uh, I, I like what it does for the story and for the world building. I, I appreciate the flavor that it gives. Um, it it not only helps build Dalinar's character with this philosophy and, and his you know, how he engages with a very foreign kind of approach to responsibility and leadership, but but it also gives the world a, a sense of depth and history, you know? Um it feels like something that, you know, like a Grimm's fairy tales or, you know, something like that from our world that it would make sense to exist in a real fantasy world. if You know,
0: pardon the oxymoron. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, they're so good. I mean, every time I get to one, I just... I want to memorize them. I have one memorized. I know I have one memorized, but I just, I want to memorize them all just like Dalinar has them just because they're so full of just, I don't, I can't quite articulate how I feel about these or, or, or why they strike me (laughs) in the way that they do, but I I needed to to bring this point and just say, I love these. I also want to talk about the epigraphs. Of course, we're on a Sanderson novel and I say this every time we have to discuss the epigraphs. Um, Mm -hmm. I only have one to mention here in style. I do want to talk about a lot more of them during our miscellaneous and our Cosmere-wide, you know, spoilers-free, or spoilers-heavy discussion, I should say. Gloves off. But um, for for right now, there's one tiny little detail I never noticed in the epigraph for chapter, I want to say it's 63. I thought it was 64, Um, but when I was looking up the chapter summaries earlier today, I found it in front of chapter 63. I'm thinking this might have something to do with, like, some audiobook wonkiness there and how that's split. Um, but I'll quote the epigraph, so you know which one I'm talking about. I wish uh, to sleep. Right, I know yeah. Sorry, I know now why you do what you do, and I hate you for it. I will not speak of the truths I see. Kakasha, 1173, 142 seconds pre-death. A shin sailor left behind by his crew. Now... The sample here is dismissed as apparently useless, and for all the, you know, those of us who have context, we know probably why. But the detail took me aback when I realized what was happening here. For my first twenty reads of this book, I assumed that this meant the person who spoke these words, who uttered this death rattle, was begging for release from his captors to be to be let free, on a delirious sort of promise, never to speak of Teravangian's crew and what they were secretly doing. That was obviously wrong. Recently, and by by recently, I mean like two days ago, I realized that the sailor realized himself they were learning about the future by killing him. And he was holding his view of the future back out of spite. That was some reasoning I had there. I was like, okay. But earlier today, one more detail jumped out at me. And this was a Shin sailor, specifically of the people of Shinovar. So when he, of all people, claims, I will not speak of the truths I see, there's a much larger meaning there, too, because of who he is. I just, I I love how, as a reader, I can focus in with a microscope on so, such a tiny little detail, and I can still see clear connections between all the little working parts that Sanderson has in this book that makes it breathe. I just thought it was so well done.
1: Uh, maybe we'll revisit this in our uh, you know full spoiler lore section at the end. I'm curious
0: like what this further connection is that you think you see here. No, sorry, I, I I went over it. The first like the connection I mean by the fact that he's Shin and they yeah they they worship truth in that. There's something there. I just thought he was holding it back out of spite. I'm not. I'm going to hold back the view of what I see, the truths that I see. But for him, truth is something sacred. It's something bigger. Sorry, there is nothing... I I Um, got the entirety of my idea out hmm. there. Um, So perhaps I just articulated it poorly. I probably articulated it poorly. That's everything. I I think
1: you're maybe making an assumption there. Because they... Sure. We don't really know too much about the Shin yet. And yes, they have Truthless. But to me, at least, the impression I have is that the Truthless thing is very specific to... uh, Kind of the knights radiant and and uh, the beliefs around that, and because you know and that's what led to Zeth being truthless. I, I had the impression that their religion was much more around like worshiping Spren and and the stone rather than worshiping well, stone.
0: truth. I suppose Spren and stone. Yeah, I don't, maybe I shouldn't have said um, a religious thing, but for the for the for the Shin, man, maybe we don't even have the context for it yet. But the I, you know the Shin. They treat truth as something, or I should say, in a way that a lot of other Osharans don't. They hold it in on, a, on, a, on a pedestal. And so for a Shin sailor to say, I will not speak of the truths I see, I just I found that to be a nice little bit of world building. I found it to be really, really, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of inspiring in a way. The fa- like, such a small <laughs> detail. Like I said, you could, fo- you could zoom in so far and still see a distinct design. And I love it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very uh, very deliberate word usage. I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, anything else about style? Yeah, I I wanted to point out that there are no epigraphs in chapter or in part five. Were
0: there? Oh my god! They're, How did I not notice that? Yeah,
1: I I was surprised by that because I am uh, fairly certain that there are epigraphs in part five of the other books in this series.
0: Uh, oh my yeah. god! I kind of want to go see now. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll get there eventually. We'll get there. Well, I can. Damn! I hadn't noticed that. At least, that. I'm. I mean, I just. I'm coming out of a couple episodes ago where I just realized there were no epigraphs in front of the flashback sequences. I hadn't even considered the entire part five.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm. I'm checking. Uh, really quick. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are. There are epigraphs in Part 5 for the other books. For all the other books. So... That is a, an, an interesting kind of outlier with this one. No kidding. But, yeah. So... Uh, let me look. I, I didn't have a whole lot for style either. Although maybe maybe this, this can kind of fall into style. Um, it's the way... Uh, chapters are named in these. Uh, I've I've gotten to peek under the hood a little bit as a you know as a beta <laughs> yeah. reader for for um, Brandon Sanderson more recently, but I I know he really likes for his chapter titles to have multiple meanings and multiple applications to things. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, it's similar to what Gene Wolfe does in the Book of the New Sun, uh, although. Gene Wolfe tends to be a little more uh obtuse about what those meanings might be. But I I really like what Brandon does here, where, where generally there are layers to the chapter titles. There'll be an obvious, you know, an obvious tie-in, and then there'll usually be a sort of secondary tie-in. And uh, one of one of my favorite things that I've ever picked up in in a Brandon Sanderson book is actually the title of the final chapter in this book, Chapter Seventy Five, in the Top Room. This is the the chapter where Dalinar has his vision and he learns that the Almighty is dead, that mm-hmm. Odium has killed Honor, and in the Top Room is a quote from. The Wander Sale story that Hoyd told Kaladin, where uh, the the quote is, Darathil and his men came out of the tower a short time later, carrying a desiccated corpse in fine robes and jewelry. This is your emperor, Darathil demanded. We found him in the top room, alone. It appeared that the man had been dead for years, but nobody had dared enter his tower. They were too frightened of him. And th- this is, you know, the crux of the story of the Wander Sale, how the Emperor was dead, and the meaning Kaladin gets out of it is that these people have been avoiding responsibility. It was less that they were so frightened about him uh, than they were afraid to take responsibility for their actions. And, and so they were, they were able to just put off what they were doing, lay it at the feet of this Emperor, and say, no, we have to do it. You know, it's it's what what is demanded of us. And we have a, a parallel here with this final chapter where Dalinar finds out the Almighty is dead and how so much of a Lethi culture, Vorin culture, is driven by the belief in the Almighty. And yet the Almighty is dead and they have been engaging in all <coughs> of this horrific violence and war. Believing they were doing the Almighty's will in doing so when the Almighty is dead, you know yeah and so we we have such a great tie back as well as a, a deeper theme explored in a roundabout way and i I love how Brandon does that
0: with chapter titles hmm. I'm glad you brought this up, and I'm glad that you articulated it in the way that you did because i uh I had a perfect setup for you to discuss this in my points about wit when I was talking about Darathel and the Wander sale here later in my notes. But I I, I can see exactly why you'd bring it bring it up in our style discussion because I mean overall this is this is kind of the perfect place to talk about it. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's really really something and it's something I did not notice. I have no shame in admitting that went completely over my head for literally dozens of reads until. Drew McCaffrey brought it to my attention about three years ago. (laughs) I mean, this is three years ago would have been 2017. This is still seven years after the book was published. And I was still finding out new things and seeing new connections I hadn't made before. And we're still talking about, appreciate this, we're still talking about the first volume. We're not talking about things that connect to earlier installments. This is still the first volume of the book. And the fact that it's such a large spanning narrative that he managed to separate both of these points long enough for, for me to completely forget about them it for so <laughs> long I, I love that there's still i mean I'm, I'm still wondering what it is i'm going to be finding 10 years from now that he hid in this book i love it oh, i
1: love yeah. it yeah yeah certainly we'll still be finding things as we gain more you know insight into the stormlight archive and ins- insight into the cosmere uh, I mean, he Brandon's on record as saying that the end of the Stormlight
0: Archive is in this book. Somehow, somewhere. I think he said it somewhere in the first two books. And this was before Oathbringer was released. Mm, Did he say I the first was, book? I thought
1: it was in The Way of Kings. Um, and, and the main theory is that it's
0: in one of the Death Rattles. Mm. <laughs> I do have a lot to discuss about the Death Rattles later. Yeah, and it's just the fact that this was set up and paid off in the same volume just makes me so excited to see what Sanderson is going to do with multiple volumes to play with. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, that's the end of my style discussion points. I'm ready to go into characters, but I'll give you the chance to get any more style discussion points that you have planned out of the way.
1: Uh, no, that that was uh, that was the last of
0: it for Sweet. me. Sweet. Go into Kaladin then. Start on the characters. Yeah, let's do it. Cool, cool. I love Kaladin. I love everything about Kaladin and his viewpoints in the end of this first book. This this is as great as it gets, ladies and gentlemen. Not the Stormlight Archive, as I'm certain the future only holds bigger and more exciting things. But this is about as excited as I get about characters. Sanderson has done so many wonderful things with Kaladin's viewpoints in this book. Not only do we get a fantastic character, both in motivation and attitude and competence, but the conflict that Kaladin has—the conflict is nothing short of perfect, in my opinion. I'll say it again: perfect. A stellar example of this, I wrote down here, is a conversation Kaladin has with Syl immediately following his sur- his, his sur- <laughs> festival, his first successful baiting of the Parshendi to save his men. The quote is this: "It was wondrous." I was a storm, Syl. The Parshendi couldn't touch me. The arrows were nothing. You're too new to this. You pushed yourself too hard. Save them, Kaladin whispered. Do the impossible, Kaladin. But don't push yourself too hard. But also don't feel guilty if you fail. Yeah. Precarious ledges, Syl. So narrow. When I read this moment, I, I want to cry. And, and it's not because the moment is so touching. I mean, I'm a soft reader. I have cried before, and I will cry again, but I'm not quite that soft. I'm not. I want to cry in the same way here, if, if I can avoid spoilers. I'll, I'll make this vague if I can. I'll, for the same reason that a particular sculptor in Elantris falls to his knees and he weeps when he discovers a piece of hidden art in the ancient city. It's just scenes right. like this. This scene is so wondrous. If I were to cry here, it would be tears of inspiration. To find something so gorgeous that it defies explanation, it can just—it can only be witnessed. i, I just—I love this scene, and I love this character, and I love the conflicts that he has. It's—I can't—I can't go on. That's—I—that's that's it. That's all I want to say about that, at least.
1: Oh, yeah, you're—you're you're completely right. Um, Kaladin has a truly complex internal struggle one that is not as straightforward as it may immediately seem at the beginning of this book uh you know and and one that isn't even solved at the end of this book you know this is an ongoing issue for him and there isn't a simple like oh do this change your attitude here and and then you're good like he he has to Fight a constant war with himself, and and that's what makes him such a perfect character for you know being a windrunner and and fit so nicely in the structure Brandon Sanderson has created for the Knights Radiant, where they have to progress continuously. That you don't just do one thing and boom, you're done. Like it, there's no easy answer like that. You have to continually better yourself and work on yourself. And that's what Kaladin needs anyway. And so we get to see him taking these first important steps, you know, realizing what he has to do. That's, you know, that's the biggest part of the fight for him in this book is simply realizing that he needs to fight this battle. And, you know, he he has a support structure around him. He has... You know, Rock and, and Teft and Moash and Sigzil and and Lopin and all of these guys in Bridge 4 who are helping him. And of course, he has Sil. And so when he is stumbling, he usually has somebody there to help him, you know, uh, get back up. But it's important for that journey that he built that support structure himself. It was his actions, his honor. That attracted so in the first place. It was his actions that built the camaraderie in Bridge 4. It's not just given to him that he has a support structure. He earns it. And so it's it's like a layered thing that he he has almost two different struggles going on, and and the struggles inform themselves. It's it's his internal struggle of of, you know, battling his depression, and then his external struggle of Finding belonging in the world and and building
0: a community around him. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me just start off by saying that I totally agree. I hadn't, um, I hadn't considered all the relationships around Kaladin and, and how it's really indicative of the, of who he is that he has these people to, to to lean on. Uh, that I thought that was that was, that was very very appropriate. I, I like the way you phrased that. Kaladin, his whole narrative in this book, despite the fact that it's clearly not done, I mean, he's 1920 weepings old, something like this. <laughs> he's a very, very young man, obviously. And so he clearly has a lot to discover about himself going forward. Especially, we as we as readers still have a lot, clearly, to discover about his past going forward. He's already made references to other people whom we haven't seen in any of his flashbacks yet. So, I just, I, I love how much we have to look forward to with Kaladin here, how much we have to cheer for with him in that regard. And the, and the fact that his narrative in this part, at least ends with that final line where he's with rock in the Bridgemen, and they've been saved. They've been purchased for lack of a better term by Dalinar. Um, I'll say, I'll say emancipated by Dal, by Dalinar there. And they right, have, yeah, yeah like, this this final line where he thinks to himself 20 i think it was 27 lives he'd saved i didn't actually read this this part for uh, for today i'm just going strictly off memory here so that could be wrong but those 27 lives he had saved and that for now was enough i love that final note it's just yeah i i i'm i'm so tired of saying perfect all the time <laughs> but I mean, it's just wonderful. I loved everything Kaladin in this book, and for the most part, I love everything Kaladin going forward.
1: Yeah. I... Man. You you keep saying perfect, and I can't really argue with that. Um, I know, I'm just... I I do still think this is the weakest of the four books in the Stormlight Archive so far. Uh, But... That doesn't mean it's not a good book, or you know, exactly what it needs to be. Because it is a great book, and there are aspects of this that are perfectly done. Uh, There's a reason why this resonates so well with so many people. I've mentioned this before. You know, in in forums on Facebook or Reddit or whatever, you'll see occasional polls that people put up. Hey, you know, what's your favorite uh, Sanderson book? And The Way of Kings almost always ends up number one. And it's, I mean, it, it does that for a reason.
0: It has a it has a spot in many people's hearts that's hard to define, including my own. Like I I can think of other books that I enjoy more, many of which are also Brandon Sanderson books. But there's I, there's something indefinable about this volume and where it lands in his career, and what it starts going forward, and how everything self-contained just works on itself and leaves or, or leaves nothing to be desired at least for for what you experienced there I mean going forward I was super excited about Words of Radiance but I remember having a particular discussion yeah. with my friend Jonathan shout out to Jonathan uh, he uh, he, we were having a discussion at what point which of Sanderson's books we were looking forward to more back in 2010 I was saying uh, duh Towers of Midnight and he was, but we'd already read The Way of Kings and he goes no I'm kind of more excited for Stormlight 2 now and I'm like what come on <laughs> come on The end of the Wheel of Time versus the beginning, or at least the next volume in the Stormlight Archive. Come on. You really more excited about that one? I have been more excited about each successive Stormlight volume since than I have ever been about Wheel of Time. I just... I need to restrain myself from glowing too much. else People are going to accuse me of of being too subjective (laughs) rather than objective in these reviews here. But I just... (laughs) I love these books. I love them. I love them.
1: No, I I don't blame you at all. Um, I I will say, you know, going back to that twenty ten discussion, I definitely was more excited for Towers of Midnight than Words of Radiance. But <laughs> uh, but you know, we're talking about a guy who at that point had spent more than half of his life uh, perpetually. Buried in rereads of the Wheel of Time, you know there, there were few things in life I was looking forward to more than the end of the Wheel of Time.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but but no, now you know as as the Stormlight Archive has continued, um, I you know and I, I reread this and I'm super excited to get into Words of Radiance. Of course, we're not going right into it, which is just <laughs> going to make it even even more challenging, but.
0: Ah, we're just taking a brief, a brief, yeah, detour, yeah. a detour. We're not. We're still going to go right into it after that, though. We're yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll up. get to our schedule at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It'll it'll just be a one week, one week breather. Mm, yeah. Uh, Shallan,
0: shall we discuss Shalon
1: DeVar? Sure. We don't have a ton of her in this part, but, but I, I
0: to talk about. I
1: her. do appreciate her chapters here. Um, for one thing, we get answers. We get a lot of answers. Uh, we get her her truth, where she says. You know, I'm a murderer. I killed my father. Um, ah, yes, a deep truth indeed. I really liked that. I really, really liked that. Um, the 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 way uh, the way that scene was written hit home for me this time in in a. Um, like a dramatic sense. I liked how just direct she was with it. Yeah, we, we get so much packed into three lines of text. What am I? Shalon whispered. Truthfully, it was a day for confrontation. She felt strangely strong, steady. Time to speak it. I'm a murderer. I killed my father. It's so direct. He doesn't waste time, you know, delving deeply into her emotions or what she's feeling or Seven you know, words. The, the setting. It's just direct time to speak it. Boom. I'm a murderer. You know, great writing. Great mm-hmm. writing. And it also speaks to the journey Shalon has gone on in this book. The Shalon we saw getting off the boat, you know, uh, in Karbronth, in whatever chapter two or three, uh, never would have... Never would have been able to say this, and never would have been able to say it in this manner. So it's mm. it's a nice bookend, you know, uh, seeing an outward representation of her inner growth.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, you pretty much you pretty much spoke on everything that I feel about Shalon for the first book, really. Um, I mean. I mean what else what else can I say about Shallan here? I have said pretty much everything about Shallan that I felt like discussing in parts one and three myself. Not much has changed here. She's okay for me. I don't hate her yet. Yet. <laughs> she corners Yasna in a few interesting ways after her, you know, after her subterfuge is revealed. I was pretty stoked going into Words of Radiance after these last few viewpoints. But she's not a favorite character of mine. She's not even in the top ten, even in the series. <laughs> I find that as Yasna as points out and maybe it's because my opinion is colored so much by how much I love Yasna but I, I absolutely agree with Yasna on this moment when she says to Shallan like you seem to make the first quip that comes to your mind at any given moment and for me as well that just that does get tiring because she can't always be funny that's Wit's job you know I, I got. I don't think he's funny all the time yeah he yeah, I mean, <laughs> depends on, on your style of humor I do think some of Brandon's best humor comes through with Wit. Um, and I do have a few points about Wit to discuss, you know, after we get through Dalinar. But with with still staying on Shallan here, she's not my favorite. She's okay. She's She is a solid character in the first book. I don't have much to complain about on her front yet. I will be complaining about her a lot for Words of Radiance parts 1 and 2. But uh, that's not to say that I'm going to be complaining about... Brandon as a writer in this case so much as I just that kind of character irks me you know Okay, so
1: yeah I I do like her a, a whole lot in this book uh, I, I think I mentioned it on our first episode how I the do first like time did. I read this book I, I wasn't super into her but as I go back on rereads I really like Shallan's chapters in The Way of Kings it, mm.
0: yeah <laughs> alright um, Dalinar Are we going on to Dalinar sure Okay, Dalinar is my favorite character in this series, don't get me wrong, I am a huge Kaladin fan, and I am a giant Yasna fan, but at the moment, neither of them are as fleshed out, or maybe it's just complete, I'll, I'll use the word complete, as Dalinar is, it's probably mostly because of Dalinar's age, I suppose, but his journey, if you'll forgive the expression, has already given him a lot of context, and so there isn't much of a mystery to him, yet. I, I, I loved being teased at this point, though, about the Night Watcher. And I yeah, loved yeah. The, the endless discussions that we had as a fandom going into Words of Radiance and then after that going into Oathbringer about the Night Watcher and Dalinar's supposed journey there. Um, but I'll talking on his relationship with Navani, though. To, at first, and going forward, at these beginning moments, it does feel a little odd, or m- maybe weird is the word I'll use. It's it's probably because of his constant insistence of treating Navani at first as a sister. I mean, his justifications make sense, but it doesn't eliminate those first impressions that we got of Navani through the the lens of Dalinar's eyes as to her relationship with him. I am glad for the both of them. I am re- I am glad that they they both managed to shed um, anything resembling societal expectation. But there are a few parts that I still feel are a little odd, that's all. He keeps referring to her at first as his sister, even though I knew she wasn't. He treated her at first as a sister, even though I knew he didn't quite feel that way. But I, I don't know. I Maybe part of me feels like they should have gotten together in the second book. I don't know. But it's still a little odd, just for this book, just for this book.
1: I, I can understand that. I think part of it is because of the way the book is structured. You know, we don't get Dalinar until... You know, a third of the way into the book. Right? Right, yeah, right. And then Navani isn't even there from the beginning. So she comes in, you know, closer to like, what, 50-60% of the way through the book? Yeah. You know, so so yeah. it her plot line, her character arc with Dalinar... I could see how it would feel a little tacked on.
0: I wouldn't say tacked on,
1: um, or or at least just it, it would feel jarring or out of place. And you could you would want something like that spread out more and, and extending into the second book, because um, it is it is resolved in a hurry. I mean, they they really only have like, you know, they have the one scene at the feast, and then he has the conversation with Adeline at the beginning of this part. Uh, or the beginning of part four where he's like you know why don't we try to figure out if my visions are real or not okay we need a scribe we can trust let's bring in navani and then they have like maybe three chapters together for the rest of the book and then boom it's it's done they he's gotten over it he's like i don't care i'll embrace you in public uh they'll they'll deal with it you know and so there's a lot of progression in a short space there
0: I wouldn't, I, I, again, I wouldn't, I just want to clarify my feelings here. I wouldn't say it feels to me tacked on or, or contrived or anything or even forced or, or even, even too quick. It's just the fact that she was introduced to us as, not as his sister, but somebody who he views as his sister or he treats as his sister. And then closer to the end, he decides, well, I never really felt like that anyway, and ends up making out with her. In the, in the end of that chapter there, and, and starting a relationship with her, with who is his his son's aunt. So, at first, that felt a little odd, you know? But, I mean, this is nothing like what's going on in Game of Thrones. There are, are any of, <laughs> um, uh, any, an unmentionable number of other fantasy series, but for some, like, it just, I don't know. When I was, like, 20 years old, I was, like, a, I was a little bit like, but really? Nope. nope. Okay. All right. Okay, your, uh, I see. Your all your, your pseudo sister. Okay, whatever.
1: You but, your problem uh, was more with just like the actual like logistics of the relationship. I was hearing than
0: "Sweet Home Alabama" the, like, in my head. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what I was hearing. Well, a little, a little roll tide. Uh, yeah, but of course I didn't have the context necessary. We see yeah. going forward. I, you know what? I'm not gonna. Never mind. I almost spoiled yeah, yeah. some things. Let's not do that. Um.
1: Yeah, I I never had that. I'll be honest. I mean, there are enough signifiers. I thought. Uh, Woven into those Dalinar and Navani scenes where he's just constantly like, yeah,
0: but she's super hot. Like I was probably just too naive of a reader (laughs) when I was 20 to actually pick up on those. That's probably why I ended up feeling like this, Mm -hmm. at least at first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I will say though, uh, Dalinar is kind of the inverse of Shallan for me in this book where the first time I read it, I really, really liked Dalinar this time. I was kind of frustrated by Dalinar. Uh, Really? I didn't enjoy reading his chapters as much. You know, he's got a couple of cool action scenes that's nice. And I, I like how when he finally starts being decisive again, he gets really direct. That can be refreshing. But but overall, I I was very frustrated with how much... Like, I was frustrated with the frustration. Dalinar was or frustrated. Me- Adeline was frustrated with Dalinar. Dalinar. Sadius is frustrated with Dalinar. Elokar is frustrated with Dalinar, and and I was just frustrated at the whole thing in general. <laughs> and, uh, okay. And and so finally, we're out of that, and and Dalinar going forward, I like a lot more because he's achieved a certain amount of self confidence that he lacked through the first, you know, or the middle third of this book, I should say, since he wasn't in the first third. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so some of his chapters I found very frustrating. And, uh, and also I wish he were a little more Cosmere aware because that that conversation with Hoyd at the feast could have been mm. so great if Dalinar had just... If he had just known
0: the name Adenalsium,
1: we yeah, could have gotten
0: so much more. <laughs> think about imp- the implications there. Like, and I guess I know you know, I'm just... See, me with Dalinar... <laughs> I love Dalinar. He's he's the greatest character in this series, as far as I'm concerned. I can I find it hard to find any points of his that I don't like, at least from a review perspective. Um, I mean, there are some other things that going forward that I'm going to have to complain about. Again, just about his character, though, not how he's written. But with with Dalinar, I I really again didn't find myself feeling any frustration with his viewpoints. I mean, there were a few points where I I was wishing that he was a little more assertive and that I was a little, I don't know, taken aback by how how much he was just willing to flip over and and expose his belly in a lot of ways when he thought that he might have been insane. And I really, really love and appreciate the fact that he eventually had Navani in, listened to one of his visions, and Navani was clever enough to realize that he may have been speaking the dawn chant and since he knows at least the translation of one of his final sentences from one of his visions they could of course go forward they could extrapolate they might even begin to unravel the mysteries of the dawn chant and even offer translations for it i loved that there were a lot of points when dalinar i was a little bit too um too limp i suppose and but I still loved him because there was a lot of conflict. I'm such a sucker for conflict. When he's in his shard plate, I believe this is in part three, and he is digging the latrine and he's, you know, thinking about whether or not he's going to abdicate to Adeline. I love that scene. You know, yeah. these are probably scenes that you may have been a little frustrated with, his argument <clears throat> with Adeline. you know. I kind of liked him because... On both sides, I was going, "Oh, that's a good point." Oh, oh, that's a good point. Oh, damn it! But that's an even better point. I, <laughs> d- I did really appreciate their exchange. It felt organic. It felt raw. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I won't it for dispute what it was. that. Like, there's there
1: is earned character development there, um, but I I just wasn't as engaged with it this time around as I was with Kaladin and Shalon. Okay, that's fair. I can see that. Yeah. Like, it's not that um, I disliked reading about Dalinar, but I did not enjoy reading about him as much as I enjoyed reading about other characters.
0: Hmm. I definitely enjoyed reading from Dalinar's point of view a lot more than Shallan's, despite the fact that I'm a huge Yasna fan and I enjoyed her conversations with Yasna. Um, but. Oh, uh, Dalinar's final moments, I still have some more here on Dalinar, I almost forgot about that, or at least what he thought would be his final moments as he's reaching exhaustion and he's fighting the Parshendi, his army is abandoned and bleeding and losing man by man, this conversation he has with Adolin is so inspiring. This is why I'm such a huge fan of Adeline as well, despite the fact that, you know, Adeline's type usually irks me in, in fantasy novels. I'm a bit like Kaladin, I guess, in this regard, although I hope it's not too much of a spoiler for the next book by saying I wanted to hate Adolin, but I just can't, you know. But this this conversation he has with Dalinar when he forgives Dalinar and Dalinar re- like realizes that Adeline all along has followed the codes and believes in the codes and doesn't hold it against his father for being the kind of man who would be betrayed by Sadius. It just, I, I, I felt it was really rewarding. And in the, in that moment, as a first time reader, I was prepared for both of them to die, but I, I loved both of those characters, you know, no less for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I will say I, I do really like Evelyn. Um, I feel like every time I read The Way of Kings I like him more. He's kinda like Shallan in that. Um But okay. I, I really enjoyed Adeline in this. I, I liked the oh, maybe this is our like, you know, segue from Dalinar to Adeline. Sure. Uh I, I liked the dichotomy of his chapters, the the uh like really serious um fraught scenes with Dalinar, whether they're during high storms, after Visions, or on the battlefield, and then contrasted with his more, like, domestic scenes where he's struggling with his calling and his religious, you know, beliefs, or, you know, when he's out on a date with Danala or, you know, whichever... Danland
0: yeah, uh, yeah,
1: J- yeah. Janala and Danlin, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you, you um, mixed them both into the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You did what
1: exactly what I always do with. Yeah. Um, but I I like I liked that it those scenes felt like a kind of a breath of fresh air to me, and I don't know, like Adeline doesn't read as a as like a jock character to me, even though Yo, he, I just keep he expecting kind of him is, to, you know, yeah. 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 So so I I enjoy his chapters a lot. Mm. Agreed. 100% agreed. <laughs> yeah. A lot of agreement in this uh, in, Yeah, in this yeah, episode. yeah.
0: We, we really don't have much to disagree on just because it's, it's, it's the way of kings, man. Yeah. Anyway. Wit. Want to talk about wit for a little sure. bit? Gibletish. <laughs> this conversation that Hoyt has as wit with Dalinar, I love how frank he is. I love how Sanderson chose this to be the moment this right here is where the meta story for the entirety of the cosmere pops in and waves hello cheerfully at us um wit i i pretty much enjoyed everything that comes out of his mouth i will say that uh his little one of his little um quips didn't quite land for me i think you actually briefly touched on this maybe in the last episode about sadius being in sluts yeah. Wasn't a huge fan of that one. I just felt it just felt kind of you know felt yeah, that kind of was, flat for
1: me. That was in part two. That was like his first scene.
0: Yeah. Oh, was it there? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But everything you know, wit is wit. <laughs> I mean, hoid is hoid. There's so everything that comes out of this man's mouth. You have to take it apart. You have to analyze it. You have to figure out how the pieces fit together and where they were going before you interrupted them. I just, mm, I love wit, and I live for every word that we get out of him. Yeah, he's great in, in the last
1: two parts of this book. Uh, his quips are generally very clever. Um, and I think it's because they're not trying to be funny. Uh, they're just trying to be clever. And, uh, and, and that hits home you know, a little better for me. But mostly, I like how serious he is in this. Uh, when he's not acting as the king's wit. He's acting as Hoyt. You know, we get two scenes with him in, in part four, where he talks to Downar, and then he talks to Kaladin. And then we get him at the end in you know in the epilogue where he's in the right place at the right time, so to speak. Yeah. So um, to speak. And and he's not being wit here. He's being Hoyd. And that's the character I really like. I don't love Wit. I
0: love Hoyd. Hmm. I, I, I would say I love Hoyd but I also really, really appreciate these moments where we see Wit peeking through Hoid, where that that, that facade starts to slip, particularly some parts in, in books two and three, which I don't think that'll be a spoiler to say, but maybe we'll bleep that out later. Uh, but oh as far as, again, going on with Wit, though, my last point on Wit here, and this is going to sound like a bit of a tangent, but I'll bring it back to Wit, I promise. My mother, right now, is currently reading The Way of Kings. Nice. And for those who may be wondering... From what we've stated in earlier parts, she was going to be our guest once again for for part two of *The Way of Kings* and perhaps for part three. I was excited to have her on because, as is so much fun for us to see, she is reading the series for the first time. Uh, unfortunately, though, you know, she was uh, even though she was actually slightly ahead. In her reading for that week, I remember this, life gets in the way. You know, she's she's an incredibly busy woman. She's taking care of my special needs sister all the time, as well as working a, a career of her own as a teacher. But the reason I say this now is because yesterday, I spoke to her in passing, and she took five minutes to glow about this part in the Way of Kings that she just finished, Darithel and the Sail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that scene. I mean, I agree. It's it's a gorgeous scene, and I love how it connects to the Kaladin's confrontation and his conflict as a whole throughout the rest of this book. But she waxed rhapsodic about this one. Now, in that moment, I was aware that she hadn't finished the scene yet. Or I should say she hadn't finished the whole book yet. Actually, I don't think mm-hmm. she still has. But she's very close now. So I couldn't really give it away by laughing and saying, oh, boy, you don't even know. You just... Don't even know how brilliant this scene really is until you finish the book. And of course, this here drew, as I alluded to earlier, this was where I had set you up oh, yeah, to start yeah. talking about the overall connection in the chapter titles and in the tower and the theme there or in, in the in height. What is it? In the tower in, room? In the top room. In the top room. Yeah. I had set you up to talk about that there, but you brought it up earlier because it perfectly fit in style. I can actually see that. But yeah, I mean, which... That's the story. I love how he teases Kaladin. I love how he teases him. You know, makes Kaladin stop for a second and go, wait, what? Yeah, I yeah. just, mm. Everything about Hoyt in this scene. In these moments where Hoyt peeks through the facade, the facade, I should say, of wit, I just, mm. <laughs> So much, so much candy here for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. So, that's yeah. all of my character discussions for today. Um...
1: I just have one last note uh, about Teft.
0: Um, oh, I, I appreciated teft. how
1: we, we kept getting Teft points of view. And, and it drew me back to uh, what I talked about at the very beginning of the book, how chapter one is from Sen's point of view. And we, we once again are in the vicinity of Kaladin doing awesome things but not from Kaladin's point of view. You know, we get Tef's point of view. We pull away so that we get to see that majestic explosion of light as he lands on the other side of the chasm and starts fighting the Parshendi. You know, we... We, we get to not only see what it means to Tef as a character, and, and yeah, he's a, he's a side character. He's a minor character. But I, at least, I really feel for the guy just from the few points of view we get from him here, the hope that he has in Kaladin and then
0: seeing that hope justified was wonderful. Mm-hmm. The hope that he dares to have in Kaladin because he's so conflicted about it and how it somehow has ties to his past and some trauma there. I just... Mm. yeah. Every character has past trauma that we get hints of. I actually forgot... Oh, maybe I didn't forget. I'll, I, there's You know, I'll be talking about a rock going forward in Words of Radiance and Oathbringer because there's a lot there to dig into with, you know, just who the Horn Eaters are as a people sure. and specifically with Rock and, and their culture and how he has some unexplained skills you know, I mm-hmm. just mm. all these tertiary characters who we who we come to love in their own right they all have these delicious and these deep meaningful stories in the background that I, I can't wait to discover and Teft is absolutely one of them
1: yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about this more in in the coming books, but uh, but that was my last character point. Sweet, mine too. So, uh, do you want to move on into miscellaneous? Uh, okay, well, do we want to do uh, listener questions as part of the spoiler talk or before?
0: Uh, I don't think any of our question any of our uh, listeners submitted anything that's particularly spoilerish. Um, yeah, no, none of them did. So we can we can talk about them here. Okay. Let's go into some uh, listener questions, then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I just realized that this might be taking a bit of my thunder here, <laughs> but our first question comes from Simon Flesher, and he says, oh, yeah. I <laughs> want you guys to gush about when Cal says his second ideal.
1: Yeah, that let's scene let's save this one for a little later. Uh, I have yeah. a feeling we're both going to talk
0: about this in favorite scenes. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know me so well. Of course, I imagine this, this strikes... A lot of people as their favorite scene or one of their favorite scenes in this book. So this is what you'll get, Simon, right now. We'll, we'll discuss that in a few minutes. But you're absolutely right, my man. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Rashid Karugli asks, I want to know your impressions about Shallan, which we did just as a character we just finished discussing. But he goes on to say, and your take on why she seems to be hated by a lot of people in the fandom. I suppose this could go forward into spoilers Ooh, for future yeah, books, I so we'll have to tiptoe gonna, around that.
1: I think, I think this is tough to get into without, um, like, the, the only thing I can say without
0: getting into spoilers is that uh, her sense of humor does not land for everybody. Sure, there's that. I, I did definitely just say that earlier. Um, yeah. Her sense of humor doesn't quite land with me all the time. There are a few moments where I, I, I chuckle at, at something that she says. Um, but for me, if you if you really want to hear what I think about Shallan and my personal opinions on Shallan, I think I went into detail in part two um, when I was just talking about her past and what kind of character she is and also what kind of reader I am. I think this has to do a lot with each individual reader's personality and what they look for in a character. I'm the kind of reader who is constantly looking for the clues. Sanderson has just conditioned me for that. And before him, Jordan and J.K. Rowling, they all they all conditioned me to look for clues as I'm reading them. And with Shalon, I was prescient that there was a lot happening in her past and I wanted answers. And so Shalon, as somebody who is as timid as she is in this book who is so traumatized by her past who it's very clear that she actually she's not finding out what's happened in her past she a part of her already knows and she is just unable to admit it to herself she's unable to even examine what's happened in her past despite the fact that she clearly already knows it was very very frustrating to me as that just specifically as this kind of reader to constantly be waiting for the revelation and getting so close to it and then just being put off by her going, Oh, but I can't think about that. I can't confront so that right now.
1: You don't you don't like the particular kind of
0: unreliable narrator that she is. I, I would say exactly that. Thank you. Okay. That was a much more efficient way of stating that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. I mean there there's more to it, you know, but but like I said, the yeah, for me to spoiler go
0: territory that, that we'll have to get into uh, you know in later episodes but... yeah and hey I'm sure we'll be we'll be up, uh, uploading a, another post about questions for Words of Radiance at the end when, when we get there oh
1: yes uh, Rashid, <laughs> if you want
0: us to go if you want me to go on more there I have I will be able to elaborate quite a bit more about why I don't <laughs> love Shallan as a character by the end of Words of Radiance yeah okay do um, we have any more questions we just have one that actually came in while we were talking this is from Anna Wheeler Anna McCaffrey-Wheeler, oh. who has been on the podcast before for Crossroads of Twilight. She asks, did you both take the Knight's Radiant quiz, and which one were you? Drew, I assume you've taken it at some point? Uh, I have. Uh, okay. Have you? I have not, but I know precisely, I've given this lots of thought, I know which order I'd want to be in. Mm, okay. Well, you. I think uh, maybe I'm going to talk about this right now,
1: and while I'm talking, you need to go do the quiz. How, oh, is it that quick? Yeah, it's like it's um uh like it's some like scale bars. All right. Um Uh official basically order quiz. You're you're given mm-hmm. like two official Knights of Radiant order quiz. Yeah, it's on Brandon Sanderson's website. Oh, dude, there's like 50 questions, man. No, but it's oh, like it's 30. Yeah, it's just like, you know, what percentage, you know, you you don't have to like really answer questions for it. But yeah. So while while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about me. <laughs> okay. Because I've I've taken this twice. Uh, I did it once when they were kind of beta testing it, and then I uh, I took it again after they put the final touches on it. And I came out as a skybreaker both times, which which makes a lot of sense to me, uh, especially uh, especially how I am a. Uh, admin or moderator for so many different web forums, the importance of rules has <laughs> <laughs> reared its head in my life in past years. <laughs> um, but I thought it was very interesting. The first time I took the quiz, I, I was Skybreaker by a good bit first, and my second, you know, the, the second closest match was Bondsmith and that one i never really expected but in hindsight i wasn't super surprised because uh you know i don't i don't think of myself as like a particularly uh you know leader type person or or uh you know what what you would expect from a bondsmith but I, you know, I am an athlete, I'm a hockey player, and most of the competitive hockey teams I've played on, I have been a captain or an alternate captain. And at that point, like, when I considered it in those terms, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, like, building a, uh, you know, kind of like a locker room, you know, team, uh, I don't know how to put it, like a, a team atmosphere, like getting the teammates to, to grow close and work together and, and understand each other on and off the rink, you know, it's a big part of what makes a hockey team successful. And I realized that I've gotten you know, decently good at that over the years. And so seeing that kind of creep through in the Knights Radiant quiz was at first jarring, but afterward I was like, huh, okay, that's, that's actually an, an interesting insight that I would never have considered in the context of fantasy. Um, but... Uh, the second time I took it, I was Truth Watcher second, and ah. and Bondsmith was like way down the way down the list, and yeah, so I was I was pretty surprised by that. You know, the just like the the change that just a couple of um just a couple of tweaks to their, you know, formula or whatever bumped Bondsmith like all the way down and made Truth Watchers so high up. But I also wasn't surprised by Truth Watcher. You know, like their whole thing is I will seek truth. Um I I am definitely a curious person by nature. I like to dig into things and figure out how they work, and very obviously I love big epic fantasy series that you can theorize about and try to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh well.
1: try to find secrets and things like that, so
0: <sighs> I've yeah. just finished mine. Okay. I don't agree with it. Oh but I will elaborate. So I got Lightweaver. My lightweaver, which grants uh, me access to the surges of illumination and transformation. I was not expecting that. In fact, Light Weaver would be one of the last orders that I would want to find myself in. Interesting. I, I think I'm not surprised
1: by that. No? Yeah, because you're, you're creative. Like, that's one thing that's... Uh, I am. That's a, a defining feature of Lightweavers.
0: Yeah, and I, and I and I did answer one of my questions here as in blending the truth or telling the truth or something like that. I was like, I do like to blend the truth a little bit or I like to <laughs> state it in a creative way, definitely, for sure. Lightweaver, interesting. I guess, you know what? I would say as, a per, as per my personality, absolutely, Lightweaver. I actually agree with it on that part. I just, if I were to, I guess... What I was going to say earlier, when I said I know which order I'd want to be in, and this is kind of appropriate, I had always said for many, many years now, I, if I could choose one order, it would be the, that of the Truth Watchers. Okay. Because, again, the, the Truth Watchers actually share light weaving with the Lightweavers, or I should say the surge of illumination with the Lightweavers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm not surprised there. But for me, the power to heal particularly those I love the the thought of my loved ones going through pain or going through suffering it bothers me in such a way that I often find myself dwelling on it and so oh. I, if I could choose any order I've been saying this for years truth watcher would be my chosen order no matter what I had to do what oaths I had to speak I would want the power to heal but as my personality is I can see why it would give me Lead Weaver. I can see that
1: yeah, I'm, I'm. I like I said, I'm not super surprised, but uh, given your explanation there, that your reasoning makes sense
0: for Truth Watcher as well. Hmm. Yeah. So, so there you go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Santos does the Night's Radiant quiz live <laughs> on air. Well, not live, but pre-recorded on air. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: So now so I it. think uh, I think we should take the spoiler gloves off. And headed to some miscellaneous and yes. Cosmere connection,
0: uh, you know. Here's your warning, everybody. If you haven't read the rest of the Stormlight Archive or the rest of Sanderson's Cosmere, now is a good time to skip ahead to the final draft for the last, what, five, ten minutes of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> Tread lightly. <laughs> well, and also probably our favorite scenes. All oh, our favorite scenes. Oh, should free. we do that first? Yeah. Because that won't be spoilery for the rest of the series, I assume. Uh, sure, we can do favorite scenes. Yeah, right now. let's do favorite scenes first this time. Let's switch it up because that technically wouldn't contain any spoilers, would it? Uh, so, no. All no. right. All right. Favorite scenes. I'll start with my third favorite. You still there? Sorry. I got yeah. Okay. Sorry, it was very quiet there. I don't have my webcam. Open I was. Here, I was waiting like... for you. You said. Oh, you sorry. Would start. I see you have <laughs> the, the hands on the gin now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my third favorite, as Drew waits with bated breath. We actually referenced this in The Way of Kings Part 2, I want to say. Kaladin in the chasm and his kata, his memories intertwining his movements. The voices from his past, the voices in his present pushing him as he goes, daring him. The way he finds peace by removing himself from their expectations and just letting himself be without thought. It's just, for me, it's such a beautiful moment. Okay, it's my third favorite.
1: All right, so my third favorite was with Shalon uh, in Part Three, where she has her moment of panic as she is sketching oh, yeah. and fleeing down the halls of the palace in Carbranth, and and stopping to sketch, and and these creatures are stalking her, are surrounding her and she finally reaches out and touches the sleeve of one when she's in her rooms and she's freaking out that scene is I think I said it you know, on, the, on the last episode some of the best writing Brandon's ever done the, the tension is just ratcheted through the roof it's so vivid it's one of those really cinematic scenes that I've talked about on our, our Mistborn and Warbreaker episodes uh, just it's a standout moment in, in this book
0: Mm. Awesome. Okay. I'll go forward with my second favorite. And I I will say that I was, I was about, I was so ready to make this my favorite scene, but there was, there, there there's something very, very, I don't know, personal to me. I'll say that actually made me change my mind and made my favorite scene take precedence. So I'll, I'll, I'll propose this one as my second favorite scene. And of course, this is the one that, pardon me, Simon Flesher, you know, referred to earlier when he was asking us our question Kaladin speaking the second ideal. Coming out of his trance, the memory that we needed as readers and that he needed in that moment for context of his brother's death, the way that Kaladin gets up, charges across that bridge, jumps over the chasm, the moment we realize that all the stormlight he needs is right there in front of him, in the beards of the Parshendi. I will protect those who cannot protect themselves. Chills. Just just literal... Chills. Okay. So, my second
1: favorite scene is almost the same scene. Uh It's right before that. Damn it! Yeah, okay. So, it's when Kaladin is is warring with himself and and Rock is telling him, like, you know, maybe we should go back. And Scylla's telling him, you know, we should go back and... He he says, you know, you got them into this, Colin. I won't let my men die for you. He turned his back on the tower. And then Syl pops down beside him, looking with despair toward the tower. And she says, are Windspren attracted to wind, or do they make it? I don't know, Kaladin said. Does it matter? Perhaps not. You see, I've remembered what kind of Spren I am. Is it the time for it, Syl? I bind things, Kaladin, she said, turning and meeting his eyes. I am honor Spren, spirit of oaths, of promises, and of nobility. And we get this. If if you go and look at the actual page, from here till the end of the scene break, the longest paragraph is like a couple of lines from here on. It's staccato writing, thought after thought, new paragraph, new paragraph, building his memory of, you know, Sadius's betrayal, all these people dying, Amaram's betrayal, watching more people dying. And then he says again, I owe you nothing, Colin. And his father's voice seemed to whisper a reply somebody has to start son somebody has to step forward and do what is right because it is right if nobody starts then others cannot follow and Kaladin remembers there dalinar had come to help Kaladin's men attacking those archers and saving bridge four dalinar was the one who stepped forward to do what's right first and he says you know so you must Life before death. I've failed so often. I've been knocked to the ground and trod upon. Strength before weakness. This would be death I'd lead my friends to. Journey before destination. Death. And what is right. We have to go back, Kaladin said softly. Storm it. We have to go back.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. (sighs) So, yeah, I will say that you took my favorite scene, obviously. I'm pretty sure everyone's guessed by now, (laughs) judging by my reaction as soon as you started talking there. But, you know, I think it's actually good that you went first because it allows me to get my glowing about this scene out of the way before you tell us your favorite scene. My favorite scene was, as I was going on in my notes just past that second one, which was originally my favorite, Kaladin speaking the second ideal, I had decided that my favorite scene was this scene before it. That one is my favorite scene. As Kaladin and the Bridgemen realize they're free. They can escape their torture, their slavery. They notice Dalinar's army in the distance, fighting, hopeless. And this moment when Kaladin hesitates and he thinks about everything that the Light Eyes have done to him. The voice of his father, as you just quoted there, Drew, speaking to him from years in the past. Again, I'll paraphrase here. Someone must be the first to do what is right, because it is right. If one doesn't lead, others cannot follow. And the last line in this specific scene, before it goes forward in the chapter, as they all nod in silent agreement, and Kaladin leads the charge back toward, and I will quote it, those four words, that abandoned blue banner. Let me be very clear about this. Never before in my history of reading fantasy books had I ever had a physical reaction to any decision made by any character like this one. I remember this moment very clearly. I slammed my book shut, and because I had actually skipped out of school on that day, I ran around the house hooting and hollering and cheering. I was when he witnessed his father in Oathbringer. That's a spoiler. Let's bleep that out. But I was going, Woo! Go, Kaladin, go! This scene, I never, I repeat, I—I never it never goes by without making me stop. If I'm reading it in physical, I lose focus, and I stare off into space for a few moments. If I'm listening to the audiobook at work, I will reach up to the button on my headphones, and I pause it. I've read this book a hundred times, I'll probably... Probably about half of that. And still, every time I reach this moment, I need to pause. I think it's some part of me that has that conditioned by now. It's almost out of respect for the author who managed not only to nail this scene, but that character, and also out of how much respect I have for how much it moved me the first time I read it. Unquestionably, this had to be my favorite scene in the book. And that's it. Okay. So my I'm very passionate scene, about this one. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh,
1: my favorite scene is um, not the story of the Wander Sail itself, but again, the scene leading up to it. Uh, there's a tone set in that scene as Kaladin is kind of freaking out after you know discovering what he can do with Stormlight. And then he, he leaves the camp and he's wandering, you know, the, the edge of the Shattered Plains. There, there's a tone set, a really melancholy moment there. That I find gorgeous. And more than that, it is very often um, this sort of tone is what I love writing myself Many times, the most inspired I am working on a scene of my own is when I can evoke this emotion. And how the story ends and Kaladin got a boost from it, but but that melancholy isn't totally gone. There's a bittersweet kind of conclusion to it. And if if anybody's ever, you know, like, I don't know, uh, if anybody who listens to this is in like the Fiction Fridays Facebook group where I've posted some short fiction, or uh, if you've read some of the short fiction that I've written for Patreon, I tend to aim for this kind of bittersweet backbone of melancholy in my short fiction. And so this chapter really nails it for me. I think it's a, a, a pretty damn near perfect example of the feeling that i like to write and so when i encounter that feeling in my reading
0: it always stands out to me hmm interesting interesting i gotta say that that one took me by a little bit by surprise i was not expecting something that i hadn't even considered in my top 10 you know i that's a good way to put it though i'm, go, I'm gonna be paying attention to that scene going forward and then I'm, especially every time i'm uh about to read another short piece of yours yeah yeah but uh yeah, um, those are those are our favorite scenes. Then, I, I think so. Uh, so oh, now I just want to can... give an honorable mention to the the forty parables. Sorry, I had to say that. The forty oh. parables, I love them. <laughs> I love them.
1: Okay, so now we'll we'll uh, actually go into the spoiler segment here.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, spoilers. Good. Yeah, the gloves right. are off. Let's do it. Okay, let's go over the death rattles, shall we? The, the death rattles that we figured out the meaning for. I want to talk about those four. I myself know, I think I wrote down yeah, 11, 52, 54, 55, 59. I got like six of them, seven of them here that I know. All right. And I have them open here. So let's discuss them. First one, chapter 11, three of 16 ruled, but now the broken one reigns. Very clearly, this is Odium. Yeah. Three, the three being the three shards, honor, cultivation, Odium, that arrived in the Rosharan system. But now the broken one reigns. Though we don't know why Odium is referred to as the broken one. So, uh,
1: I believe there's another point. Maybe the during Kaladin's little
0: uh, high storm journey, uh, the oh yeah, his experience, the
1: Stormfather refers to Odium as the broken one.
0: There. Does he? He just says Odium reigns. Actually, Odium. Oh no,
1: that's what it was. Yeah, he says Odium "Odium reigns.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But. But yeah, it, there there is an interesting little wrinkle added in with that terminology, the broken one. Yeah. I the I know some one. people will will argue that it means it's not odium and that really it's like this broken version of honor is what's reigning, but I disagree with that. I do think odium is I've never heard that. Yeah. Um uh, but
0: yeah, so let's let's move on. What was the next one? Okay. The next one that I had written down at least was, I want to say 52, yeah, chapter 52, so that would be right here. I'm standing over the body of a brother, I'm weeping. Is that his blood or mine? What have we done? I assume this is Kaladin and Tien. Maybe. Eh? Maybe? It is is certainly possible. Hmm. Okay, I had assumed this was was uh, was concrete, but we'll. I mean, so we'll see going
1: forward, won't we? Th- there's a lot of theorization around the death rattles, obviously, and yeah, there course. is at least there, there's a good amount of evidence that the death rattles are future seeing. And so, um, I I would need to check the timeline. I don't remember if that particular death rattle
0: is before or after Tn dies. Oh, no, that would have been Chapter 52. I don't think Tien had... Oh, wait, we knew he had... Oh, shit. So,
1: I'm talking about the specific timeline, like when that death rattle was given. Got you, got you. Like when the death rattle was actually uttered. Yeah, had Tien already died then,
0: or was Tien going to die in the future? Mmm, got you, got you. Or does it matter if it's if it's a different? I mean, we assume when they're dying, they're slipping into the spiritual, right? Or not slipping into the spiritual, they go to the beyond, but they get a glimpse of the spiritual, and that has no time whatsoever. So if it's before or after, they can still view it. Well, so perhaps. Well, we know the death rattles are a a uh,
1: molach, right? Yeah, creation of the unmade. So I don't know how much the spiritual realm is coming into that, like directly. Whether because because clearly, just like dying. So, I'm sure that's how... when you die you don't go to the spiritual realm. You go to the yeah, beyond. sorry, that was the
0: yeah, yeah. go to the beyond, yeah. Yeah. So, that's a so mistake like, I used to make, yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: I it's it's very specific to the unmade and I think this is where it ties back to like how future sight is of odium, you know. Like there's right. this like in-world belief that future sight is evil.
0: And I, I, I guess I would you know, I would just uh elaborate by saying I, I would assume that this is how Mo'ilach, the unmade is actually manifesting this in the fact that, you know, Mo'ilach as a huge splinter of Odium still is involved at least. Maybe those that future site is coming from the spiritual realm somehow. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, I mean uh, th- there's there's definitely a spiritual component in an, in any future site. Like, you know, there there has to be. But um but yeah, so I, I would just be really curious to see uh, to check the timeline uh, and see whether yep. that w- particular one was,
0: uh, you know. Before or after it happened, despite the fact that time means nothing for the spiritual. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 55 A woman sits and scratches out her own eyes. Yep. Daughter of kings and winds, the Vandal. Yes. This is Shalash. Yes, indeed. Clearly. Yes, yeah. indeed. So- yeah, this is, this is a reference to her going around and destroying depictions of herself as one of the heralds, which, of course, there would be plenty of depictions of her throughout the entirety of the continent of Roshar and maybe even elsewhere on the planet. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shalash. Uh, let's oh. see here. 59. Chapter 59. Which, Sorry, I wrote down the numbers of the chapters instead of actually... Here we go. Above the final void I hang, foes behind, friends before... Sorry, foes behind, friends behind, friends before. The feast I must drink clings to their faces, and the words I must speak spark in my mind. The old oaths will be spoken anew. This is Kaladin, jumping over the chasm, moments before speaking the second ideal. The, vo- the Above the final void, clearly that's the chasm. Friends behind, friends ahead, that's the bridgeman with him. The colon army ahead of him. The feast I must drink clings to my faces, uh, to their to their faces. That is the beards, the stormlight, the gems in the Parshendi. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much not questionable, eh? Yeah, old, I, the old oaths will be spoken anew. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is, uh, I, th- I think you are correct there.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Wait. Let's see. I have a couple more. 61 and 64. So chapter 61 had... Oh. In the storm, I awaken. Falling, spinning, grieving. Tell that After he crosses back over to Roshar through the perpendicularity in the high storms. Maybe maybe you sound a little tremulous on that one i mean we
1: don't really know how he got back
0: okay okay i I had figured that i had figured that i had assumed that we had been that one had been concrete although I, i don't know when precisely i can't say when precisely i had heard that it was concrete so that's not concrete sorry that i will present that one as a theory then yeah sure Okay, and the last one I would written down, at least for for my concrete ones here, sixty four. Yes. Chapter sixty four. They come from oh, yes. the pit. Yeah. Yeah, they come from the pit. Two dead men, a heart in their hands, and I know that I have seen true glory. This is unquestionable. This is this is Shalon and Khaled in words of radiance as they leave the the chasms and they return with the gem heart from the chasm fiend they killed. In fact, if I'm not remember, if I'm not Misremembering in that scene, a single glory spent uh, spren actually pops into existence when Kaladin shows Dalinar that gem heart. Uh, yes, I I believe, I I believe you are right on that one. Sweet. All right, those are the. That's the end of the ones I know what they mean. Are there any that that I'm missing that you can think of? I, I suppose I could have given you a warning that I was going to go do this.
1: Um, fifty-four. The burdens of nine become mine. Oh! Why must I carry the madness of them all? Oh, almighty, release me. I believe this is Tone finally breaking.
0: Yep. And he's carrying the madness of the other nine heralds. Yeah. Or at least, well, we know that they are actually mad themselves, but he has to carry the torture that they would have, you know, received. He's carrying it on braise in their stead. Mm Mm-hmm. In their place. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I... There's one more that I just wanted to talk about, and and that is Chapter 53. He must pick it up, oh, yeah. the that's, Fallen tower. That's what I
0: wanted to talk about. Yep. Yeah.
1: The Tower, the Crown, and the Spear. I... Hmm. The Tower is Yerathiru, surely. So... I think you can make an argument for Dalinar or for Kaladin for this one. Because the spear doesn't really fit with Dalinar. But the tower and the crown definitely do. Especially because uh, Dalinar's colon glyphs form a tower and a crown. But specifically oh, in that. in Oathbringer, Dalinar becomes High King in Urithiru, right? But yep. the spear doesn't fit. Whereas with Kaladin, the spear fits... And you can maybe make an argument that he needs to work with Dalinar, and that would be where the colon Glyphs, Tower, and Crown would fit with him, but that
0: seems tenuous. I don't know, I, I think we have a couple of good options for this. I like your interpretation of that, I think maybe we'll just have more context for how that fits later, perhaps. But uh, yeah. yeah, I want to talk, let's see, I have two more that I wanted to just just throw at you and see what you wanted to make of them. That is chapter, the epigraphs for 57 and 59. I'll give you the first one, 57, is... I hold the suckling child in my hands, a knife at his throat, and know that all who live wish me to let the blade slip, spill its blood upon the ground over my hands, and with it gain us further breath to draw. What is going on here? I got nothing. Somebody Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to see if you had anything cuz I am completely at sea here. No.
1: The okay. uh All right. like there it's it's such a wide open like any theory is valid at this point about yeah. it. Like I Okay. It's it's so strange. It's so out there. It nothing really fits immediately with it. So,
0: yeah. Damn. Okay. The last one I want to discuss is chapter 69. Sorry, I'll bring it up right here. Yeah. Oh, God, I love this. I love this one so much. I want to get a tattoo of this one. God damn it. All is withdrawn for me. I stand against the one who saved my life. I protect the one who killed my promises. I raise my hand. The storm responds. Uh, I love it I love it I, I just I have no idea what this is going to be but I want to see this scene yeah fair yeah definitely yeah okay alright uh, any other uh, epigraphs that you want to discuss uh, no no more
1: epigraphs um, let me just look oh yeah so um, I did have highlighted uh, Hoyd's conversation with Kaladin Okay. When uh, Calden asks his name and he says I've many. I began life as a thought, a concept, words on a page. That was another thing I stole myself. Another time I was named for a rock. And then, well, what do men call you now? Many a thing, and only some of them polite. Almost all are true, unfortunately. You, however, you may call me Hoyd. Your name? No, the name of someone I should have loved. Once again, this is a thing I stole. So um We're gonna we're gonna go into some deep lore Super meta and yep, and yep. we're we're gonna we're gonna touch on some unpublished Cosmere content. The Traveler? Uh no, that is published. Oh is it? Yeah, it was published in the JordanCon anthology in twenty nineteen. Oh. Yep. Damn. Um but no, uh we're going to talk about The Liar of Parthall. Okay. All right. Uh so for for those who may not have heard of this, uh, this was a book that Brandon Sanderson started writing uh, around around the time he was, you know, given the Wheel of Time contract. Um I I don't know if he ever actually finished it.
0: He um, was writing it that late? Yeah. I thought this was like something early 2000s. No, uh, he he um
1: I know he has said nobody's ever read the ending of it. Um and and I and I think maybe he like basically finished it, but he didn't like ever cross the I, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's whatever. Um but for a long time the first like eight or nine chapters were available to download on his website. Uh he since like moved, you know, he re you know, they rebuilt the website and I think they like moved Uh, hosting services and since then the link has been broken which is very unfortunate but that book starts off with a character named Midius who is in a you know like kind of a, a peasant hovel and he is learning how to be a Jesk a storyteller and use light weaving and his master teaching him this is Hoid, but his master Hoid has been poisoned and dies. And Mideus then goes on to uh, kind of yeah, f- try to fulfill his master's you know kind of last wishes for him, and he heads into the city of Partnel to, to be a storyteller and use light weaving and all of this stuff. Now, <laughs> at the end of Oathbringer, Shalash calls Hoid Mideus.
0: And, uh, that's, Wait, that's what? very, terrible. oh, well, uh, sh- it's very she terrible. really, she calls him Midias? Yes. I so I forgot that detail. Yeah. I figured she would have called him Cephandrius or something like that.
1: Uh, Cifandrius, I believe the only, the only times we've had that name are in the, uh. Mistborn Secret History. Mistborn Secret History and in the letter from, uh, Endowment.
0: Oh.
1: Right. Uh, or, or maybe, maybe it's the Endowment. bringer. Or, or the autonomy letter. I can't remember. I'd have to go double-check, but it's like, you know... It's one
0: of the ones in Part 2 yeah. of Oathbringer,
1: I believe. Yeah, it's like, you know, Cephandrius, bearer of the first gem. And the first yeah. gem, by the way...
0: Is the element? Is it the element? No, you said no. that was the element was L'Oracium, right? No, but another time, I was named for a rock. Ah, I know what this is. Topaz.
1: Mm-hmm. So, for anybody who has read uh, Dragonsteel Prime, or any of the preview chapters, which you can still find on Brandon's website... Uh, Topaz is Hoyt, and um, yeah, he, he's got, he's, he's been around, as he says, he's got a lot of different names, but there are some very oblique references to deep, deep lore, uh, unpublished lore, or or will be published in the
0: future lore uh, during this scene, so. I love it, and I love that we've arrived at the point at the, on the Aking Out Loud podcast, at episode 82, we are finally uttering the name Midius. Yeah. I just love that. I feel so surreal right now. This is awesome. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, I just have a couple tiny things to bring up going forward. Um, I want to point out one small detail. Actually, it's, it's actually only one thing I have going forward. This is the last thing I'm going to say today before we get into our final draft. And I'm only going to give that detail. And I'm not going to elaborate why I'm bringing it up. This is just because I have a theory. And many other people, I suppose, uh, even though I haven't talked to them, I gather this is a commonly spread theory throughout the fandom. I'm going to be bringing myself, I'm going to be bringing this up in part three of Oathbringer. All right. For episode three of Oathbringer, I will be talking about this again. So I'm giving us like, what, nine or ten weeks of notice on this one. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't want to have this discussion here. I'm just going to bring it up because I feel like it would be re- redundant to have the whole discussion twice. So this is it. Lend me thine ears. I will say this but once. Following the Chasm Fiend attack in part two, or is it? That was part three. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. The Chasm Fiend attack. Elokar's shard plate has eight broken gems. Not one or two, as is usual, even for severely damaged up to non-functioning plate. Elokar has eight. He has many broken gems. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say there. Okay. Anything else that you have miscellaneous Cosmere-wide connections before we go into favorite, oh, sorry, favorite scenes? Look at me. You can tell that I had that planned for after here in my notes. Yeah, yeah. Before
1: we go into the final draft? No, I think uh, I think we can head into the final draft here.
0: Sweet. Okay, I will, uh, I'll start us off then. So, for today, for the final draft, I have a beer that I've been waiting For many, many weeks to bring up. Many weeks. This is a beer that I spotted and I've had before, many times before, although I don't think I've brought this to the podcast yet. But this is a beer that every time I see it, it immediately makes me think of Kaladin during his super ballsy, super badass, offending and distracting the Parshendi stunt that we see a couple of times in the last part of this book. This here is my ode to Kaladin's genius in figuring out exactly what he needs to do to protect and save his men and to piss off the Parshendi. This is an India Pale Ale from Amsterdam Brewing. I should say Amsterdam Brewery. And this is called Bone Shaker. Ah, nice. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And as an IPA, you know, it's it says it's an unfiltered IPA, and I, ac- I absolutely got a lot of that in. It felt a little grainy. It felt very, very raw. It's a strong IPA. It's 7.1% ABV, so I think it's the strongest beer that I've brought on, although, of course, I've brought on far <laughs> yeah. stronger liquors Scotch and Canadian whiskey yeah, and yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Scotch, vodka, the whole nine. But this is an unfiltered India pale ale from Amsterdam called bone shaker and it's it's pretty good i will say you don't want to drink this on an empty stomach <laughs> i did that earlier today before i went for my walk my daily walk as i'm trying to walk a lot more and build up the muscles in my legs don't want to drink this on an empty stomach because bad things happen <laughs> but it's, it's still good it's still good all right so yeah well i'm drinking
1: a very special beer very special I'm gonna beer. match bone shaker okay so, kind of history behind this beer. This is oh. a barrel-aged Imperial Sweet Stout from Angry Chair Brewing oh. Company in Florida. Uh, it's already better. Florida. Um, it's a, So it's an Imperial Stout brewed with cacao nibs, cinnamon, I think walnut, and uh, vanilla beans. Although I don't get a ton of cinnamon or vanilla in this. Uh, but then it is aged in cognac barrels. So they they do a They said it was bourbon barrel aged. No, just just cognac barrel aged. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um so they do a bourbon barrel aged variant and I have a bottle of that in the in the old Of course right you do. Okay, well. okay. All right. But so they they have a, a base version of it and then they have a regular um regular <laughs> bourbon barrel version and then uh That's for term. for Tampa Bay Beer week in 2019 um, Angry Chair released a cognac barrel-aged version of it, and I've acquired a bottle of it. This is outstanding. So it's an 11.5% cognac barrel-aged pastry stout, essentially. Damn. Tons of chocolate. There's a real cognac presence in it, which I appreciate a lot. I uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, dabbled with, like, brandy or cognac or anything like that, but I really enjoy the taste of that particular liquor. Um. And and it's it's present here, and I like it. I really like it. Um, but yeah, this is this is for Sadius.
0: Oh, for Toral Sadius! I didn't get a chance to for, gnash my teeth over this slimy
1: prick. His actions, and more importantly, his attitude at the end of this book. This is unrepentant transgression.
0: it's so appropriate yeah I had written down on my phone I'm just remembering now that I had written down on my phone notes to discuss Toral Sadius and how much this guy is such a slimy kremlin we'll talk about him in in Words of Radiance (laughs) if I wanted to put it this way If I were to discuss everything I feel about Toril Sadius, this episode would be significantly shorter because of the amount of censoring and bleeps (laughs) that we would have. So, Mm. yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, my mom, though. My mom is right there in the book, and she's going, yeah, so so Sadius just asked for the copy of The Way of Kings from Dalinar and to have it read to and That's looking pretty good. And I'm having to sit there with a straight face going, "Mm -hmm, yeah, that's definitely great, yeah. But... Mm. All right. This has been an excellent episode so far. It has. It was, a, it was
1: a lot of fun. So this has been episode 82 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yep. Next up, we will be taking a quick break from the Stormlight Archive to cover a patron-requested book. Uh, if you want to request a book for us to cover, uh, we will get to it. Uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash We have a few different tiers there, and one of them you uh, get the privilege of telling us what to read. And so this one came straight from there, and we are going to cover Dune, the classic sci-fi epic. And I will say I'm really interested to see how this goes. I tried reading Dune many years ago, and I could not get through it because I hated the omniscient narrator.
0: Uh, so we're going to see. We're going to see. Oh, there's an omniscient narrator. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm suddenly a little less excited about it <laughs> for those who can't tell, obviously, I have never even approached it before. Yeah. But this is going to be interesting, okay? Yeah, I'm 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 determined to get through it at
1: least. I may not like it. I may love it. We'll see. Um but anyway, <laughs> As I said, this has been episode 82. I am your host Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.
0: Bye, everyone.